to do just that. Today, um, we are going to begin with the end. Revelation. So um, if you would, please stand with me as we honor God's word. If you have your Bible, we'll be in Revelation chapter one and also Revelation chapter three. Starting in Revelation chapter one, verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Skip down to verse 17. When I saw him, this is John, I fell at, at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Skip over to chapter three. This is. Well, we'll rest in our text today. Verse one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. For you will not wake up. 
excuse me, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names and stars, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. You may have your seats. The book of Revelation is a complex book. It's a book that is highly debated amongst scholars, amongst theologians. Um, it is a book that sometimes confuses people. Um, it's a book that is hard to understand sometimes. Um, it's a book that is difficult to quite know what it means in its fullness. For instance, um, it is just considered to have three different genres, um, three different ways to identify the book of Revelation's genre. Um, for instance, one of them is considered to be an epistle. The book of Revelation considered to be an epistle. It's also considered to be a prophecy. It's also considered to be apocalyptic. And so these three different ways to classify this as a genre already shows how complex this book is. And so for knowing that scholars debate this book, knowing that scholars and theologians sometimes can't quite agree fully on the meaning of this book, you can imagine what this book poses to those who are in the laity, those who are the common believers those who have not gone off and had a seminary training, those who have not done intensive research and study on this book. For the common believer, the laity, this book can be scary. This book can be one that a lot of people, quite honest, avoid. A lot of people don't want to read the book of Revelation just because of all the imagery and the symbolism and just trying to make sense of that can be difficult. But today, um, our message today and what the Lord is showing us today in Revelation chapter one that we read and also in Revelation chapter three as he's writing, as John is writing these letters to the seven churches from the Lord Jesus, I think is very clear. And hopefully by the power of the spirit today, I will be able to make that clear for us. So if you would, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would bring your spirit amongst us and you would bring clarity to the words of the book of Revelation. I pray, Lord, that we would see what you are showing the church today, what you are sh showing your church today here in Birmingham, that we would be able to see clearly what you are calling us to as we are to be the church in this city for your glory. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in chapter one, we read a lot. And if you don't take anything away from what we read in chapter one, I hope that you see without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's all powerful. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. He's all majestic. There's no one who compares to him. And as you can see, John, the apostle, the one who is known as the beloved of Jesus, when he sees Jesus in all of his glory and majesty and splendor, what does it say? He falls on his face as if dead. The glory of our Lord Jesus. It should cause us to go into full surrender before him. Full surrender, complete submission to his will. This should be our response to our risen Lord Jesus. We should lay down our desires, our will, what we want, what we think is right, and be in full submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is glorious. He is all powerful. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There is no one who is like him. He is holy in all of his ways. And as we look upon the risen Savior, Jesus, in all of his power and majesty and glory, we should be like John on our face in full submission to him. We can stop fighting and trying to go after our own way and our own will and fall as John did, as dead before the risen Savior. So if anything comes out of what I said in reading chapter one, the verses that we read, I pray that we would walk away in this short amount of time seeing the beauty and the splendor and the glory of our Savior and know that he is in control. He is glorious. All power and authority is in his hands. He has the keys to death and Hades, even death itself. We should not fear because our Lord has the keys to death. So first, our Jesus, our Savior, he is Lord. When we turn to chapter three with the letter to Sardis, I want us to think about what Jesus said to the church in Sardis. Now, in doing some of my research, um, looking into the church in Sardis, um, it was an actual church during John's time. Um, John was exiled and it was a church in was no, what was known as the Kingdom of Lydia. Um, it was actually the capital city of the Kingdom of Lydia, which is in Asia, Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And this city, the city of Sardis, it was very wealthy. That's a tidbit I want us to take away from Sardis. 
Um, it was wealthy. Now, Jesus makes it clear that he's writing these letters to the seven churches. And if we know the story of creation, God made everything in six days and he rested on the seventh day. Seven represents completion, perfection. And so even though this is a specific church during this time in history, the church in Sardis, because we're seeing that he wrote to the seven churches, showing that it's a completeness, that it's not just to this one church, it's to all of his churches. The church universal. This message is not for just a particular church back in a particular day. It's for our church today here in Birmingham. So the church in Sardis, being that it was a very wealthy um, city, want to give us a few facts, um, statistics about Birmingham. Um, did a little bit of research. I'm a numbers guy. Uh, I love numbers. Uh, I love statistics. Uh, I love looking at how we can gather information to prove certain points. So in a 2003 study, the Barna Group um, found that Birmingham had a high ranking in a particular area. They did a study on the cities in our nation that were Bible-minded. Cities that um, read the Word of God, that believed the Word of God, was authoritative, and that lived by the principles of the Word of God. These Bible-minded cities in our nation. Birmingham was number four on that list. So Birmingham, a top five Bible-minded city in all of the nation. In another study in 2016, I looked for um, places that were charitable givers. I couldn't find a specific study on Birmingham in and of itself, but I did find one at the state level. So as a state, Alabama was ranked number three in the percentage of income donated to charity. So being that I kind of have some understanding of Birmingham and the rest of the nature of Alabama, um, there's a lot of wealth in Birmingham. Um, and so I think Birmingham drives that ranking for Alabama, that ranking of number three in all of the nation in charitable giving. So Birmingham specifically number four, being Bible-minded, and also number three as a state, um, being that it gives a high percentage of its income to charity. So we're a giving city and we are a Bible-minded city. Here in chapter three, listen to the words to the church in Sardis. I know your works, I know your deeds, your good works, your good deeds. You have a reputation, a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. There's some other statistics um, about Birmingham that seem to contradict the ones that I just gave you. Um, in a recent article that came out on AL.com, Birmingham was the number two city for um, single-parent homes. 
Um, Birmingham also year after year is usually top five, definitely top 10, but um, a lot of times top five in murders. So on one hand, very charitable, very giving city, very Bible-minded city, but also at the same time known for being a city with high murder rates, high out of wedlock births that ends in single parent homes. I know your deeds, I know your works, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Second Timothy um, chapter three begins with a list of godlessness in the last days. Godlessness in the last days. In verse five of chapter three in Second Timothy, kind of sums it up in this way, having the form or the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. This seems to contradict itself, and this is Although very beautiful on one end, that we're a Bible-minded city, we're a giving city, but also at the same time known for so many negative things, death and single-parent homes. And what's going on? Well, Birmingham, if you know the history of Birmingham, it's very interesting. It's a divided city. It's divided. You've probably heard the term over the mountain. There's a division in our city, right? Um, although we have much wealth, we have the Mountain Brooks, the Vestavias, the Hoovers, the Ross Bridges, the Shoal Creeks of Birmingham. And then you have on the west side, where I'm from, Fairfield, you have the Fairfields, you have the Inslees, you have the West Ends of Birmingham, a divided city. That brings an issue for us as the church brings an issue for us. Listen to what he says. This is the Lord, what he says about this church that has a reputation for good works. And Jesus even says, I know your good works, but you are dead. He says, be alert. Wake up. And strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. Revival um, is our theme. And one of the great revivals in our country was the Great Awakening. Wake up. The Great Awakening. So if we are to, receive, to see revival again in our city, we must wake up. We must repent. We've been having these prayer meetings in Fairfield which Al Baker has been leading and is why we are all here today. 
um, coming into uh, our building at Urban Hope Community Church, and we've gathered as men praying for revival in our city. Anybody that knows me, um, I'm all in for anything Urban Hope Community Church does. I love my church. I am 10 toes deep. And for those who don't know what that means, that means I am firmly planted, full-fledged, all go into what Urban Hope does and what Urban Hope is about. And this one particular thing, these prayer meetings, I'll be honest, I wasn't all excited about. I'm always into what Urban Hope does, but this one thing, even though I knew in my head is needed, I just wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't, there was just something that wasn't there. And I, but I would come and I would hear the prayers and we would leave. And it just was, there was just seemed to be something that was, for me personally, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me personally, that just wasn't clicking for me. It just didn't make sense to me. And I believe in the power of prayer. And so we kept coming, kept coming month after month. I don't know how many months we've done it now. But that's how I was feeling going into these prayer meetings. I was just kind of going through the motions. Well, this last time, this last prayer meeting that we had, um, there was something different about it for me personally. Um, I came in and Pastor Alton kind of started us off with a list of names of people that we have been reaching out to in the community that um, was just been difficult. We've just seen them kind of sway and um, they were struggling and we were struggling. We were struggling as leadership um, and we just needed prayer. We just needed something to invigorate us, to keep us moving forward. And this particular time, um, as he listed off those names, and I didn't pray, I didn't pray out loud, but I was just sitting there, head bowed, as we started to pray, as the men in the room started to pray. And something was just different about this time. Um, now, picture this, um, our room, you know, Fairfield is a predominantly black community, predominantly poor community. And there's this room filled with older white gentlemen, primarily. I'm a young black male. And, you know, you can see a division. You can see differences, for instance. You can see the differences in ethnicity. Um, there's differences in age. I'm sure there was difference in wealth. But this particular time that we started praying, there was something different. And as we started praying and brothers in that room started praying and started praying for those individuals that Pastor Alton had listed, I began to cry. Till tears welled up in my eyes and I just could not contain it. And I was just crying as I heard the men in that room praying specifically for these people that we have been reaching out to. 
um, young men and young women that come from these situations where they're coming from single parent homes, they're coming from just so much disorder and chaos in their lives. And the men in that room started praying and they began to cry. They began to weep as they were praying. Some of you were in there that day. And I mean, I was just a wreck. I started crying. Uh, snot started coming from my nose. And I was sitting there holding my hands like this, knowing I needed to go to the restroom and blow my nose, but I just couldn't leave that moment. So I just sat there, tears falling, trying to keep my snot and tears from hitting the ground. And there was something special about that moment. And what I look back on and what I saw in that moment is I felt a sense of solidarity with my brothers. I felt like these men are my brothers. You men and women in this room are my brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter our age differences. It doesn't matter our race differences. It doesn't matter our wealth differences. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that day I felt that tangibly. I felt it. I knew that the power of the Holy Spirit was present in that room that day. The divisions went away. And I was just in the room with my brothers praying to our Lord, our King, together, united. As John 17, the high priestly prayer, as John says in this prayer that Jesus said that we should be one, we would be one as he and the Father are one. And as it says here in our scripture today, repent, remember what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If there's gonna be revival in our city, it's going to start with the church. This was a letter to the church, not the outside world, to the church. That your works and your reputation for being alive, but you were dead. But Jesus calls us to wake up, to come alive, to remember what we have heard and received, to keep it and to repent. And that day, I felt like my brothers in that room with me, despite all the differences, were carrying the same burden that I was carrying. That we were on mission together. That's what this city needs. If we are going to see revival, it's not going to be through all the money that we throw towards education. Education doesn't save anybody. Housing doesn't save anybody. A turkey drive doesn't save anybody. A Christmas drive doesn't save anybody. What saves the people of God is the word being proclaimed, people hearing it, people receiving it, people repenting of their sins, and coming before their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus through the foolishness of preaching. Through the foolishness of preaching. 
It's not all what we figure out and think can, can make this work. Education and all these things, that's not what saves us. It's the foolishness of preaching that people would hear, they would repent and believe the gospel. So let us be a church known primarily, not just for our charitable giving, but for a church that preaches, proclaims, and lives out the word of our Lord. That's my charge for us today. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time to be before your people, my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the unity that you prayed for on our behalf. And I pray that we would be the church. We would not just appear to be. We would not just have a form of godliness with no power, but we would be empowered by your spirit to be the light of the world. You didn't tell us that we should be, that we ought to be, that we can be, but you told us that we are the light of the world. And so I pray that we would reflect who we are in Christ Jesus, the light of the world, that our works would not be seen as no power, but we would be seen as a church that proclaims your word to the onlooking world so that people could hear, receive it, and repent and believe the gospel. I thank you for the honor and the privilege to be before your people and I pray that it would resonate on the hearts and minds of those who are under the sound of my voice. Pray that this would be all unto your glory and your honor and your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.